In this episode of Navigating the Noise, I am joined by Jeff Booth, author of The Price of Tomorrow, to discuss his book and the role technology is playing in the evolving financial system. We also discuss the impacts of deflation and an inflationary-based economic system. I hope you enjoy. The mention of different asset types or securities do not constitute a recommendation for our clients. If you have any questions about the content of this podcast, please contact your advisor. And now on to today's episode. All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining me today, everyone. I've got uh, with me Jeff Booth, uh, a tech investor and more importantly, the author of The Price of Tomorrow. Um, It's a great book. If you haven't read it, I would recommend going out um, and getting a copy and reading it. So I'll uh, introduce Jeff and, and let you take it away. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kane. I, um, I've been a technology entrepreneur um, most of my life. Um, entrepreneur first, and then using technology to disrupt industries and and, and create pretty sizable companies out, outside of that. I still, even today, I'm, I, I chair about seven boards in the technology space, and, uh, and so I spend a lot of time at the at the nexus, right at the edge of where technology is moving. Um, both in AI and all sorts of different industries and, and what that means. And I couldn't understand why, I, I'll give you an example from my, one of my first businesses. Um, the, the first three years, it took uh, oh, over $5 million and, and over 50 employees to be able to create the technology that today is literally free. Um, and that you could get for $20 a month on, on Shopify. And, and the technology today is way better. And so I couldn't understand why everything that we were doing and everything I was seeing all around the world was, was driving prices down um, and abundance up and why we weren't seeing that in our society at large. Um, and so it was something that I, it was, it was nagging at me and it was a curiosity. And as I looked deeper and I kind of peeled the onion back, I realized um, we're, we have two different systems. One that we've lived in all our lives, an inflationary monetary system that requires prices to go up and will manipulate money to do so. And one, a technology driven essentially abundance where more technology means more abundance in your in our lives more for less colliding against each other um, in society today and and so I wrote the book uh, as a result of looking at my kids and looking at the world we're moving into and realizing nobody was talking about this nobody technologists on one side financial people on the other side and there was this missing piece right in the middle that nobody was talking about thinking that you could work two totally different systems and not have negative externalities. Um, so, so that, so I wrote the book, the price of tomorrow, why, why deflation is key to an abundant future as a, as a result to open up this conversation. Um, and it's been, it's been staggering. It's turned into a bestseller and country after country after country. And it's, it, it's opened up a bunch of this conversation. I bet that's exciting to kind of all those years that lead into the content of the book. And, you know, there's always that fear. Hey, if I release this, is anybody going to care? And in your case, it's just been wildly successful. Yeah. And if I, I didn't need to, I, I didn't do it for money. I could care less. I didn't need the money out of it. I didn't need to, in fact, in fact, when, when my wife and I talked about when I said to my wife, I have to write this book, um, 
I actually, I, I, the, the, the calculus we were going on through is it actually probably hurts every one of our businesses, because if you're going up against a system that is so much ingrained inertia and people in the system, you're, you're, you're calling out that that system can't work anymore. You're more liable to look like a fool. Um, and so then that essentially what I thought might happen is you'd be celebrated after you die, <laughs> but it didn't matter for, <laughs> for your bit, a bit, a bit since, but, but I came to the realization it, it didn't matter. It like it all, uh, uh, it, it was true. And I had to write the book, whether one person read it, 10 people read it, uh, people chastised me for it. It didn't matter. It was true. And so, uh, so it's been a wild positive experience on the other side as more people are coming to terms with, uh, with what it means. And for those that maybe are listening that don't quite understand what deflation is and, and what inflation is, um, probably the last couple of years with the money printing and, and coming through COVID and, and seeing the prices of goods and materials go up, that's the inflationary system, meaning that you have to work more to get more and spend more to get ultimately less and and deflation being where your money actually holds value better the cost of the goods go down so you can work less and and not more and kind of get off that hamster wheel one of the things that um you said uh there that that you didn't do it for the money um if you talk to business owners a lot of ones as they get to the end and and it's either at, at the start or in the middle or somewhere at the end they realize it's not about the money. Do you think that's one of the benefits of a deflationary period mindset is just that fact that it removes that I have to do everything for money? That It's a huge part of it, but way be deeper than you think. Most of, our, most of what we think we do is actually out of an economic calculation um, that, that whether it's fame, fortune to be able to drive more money, whether it's, whether it's, but it's around an economic calculation. And so when you're manipulating money to make prices go up, so really what that says is if you want inflation, really what you're saying is I want to lose value in my dollars. And not only I want to lose value in my dollars, I want that a hidden tax on society. So that's actually what you're saying. Now, some people win from that equation. If I own assets, the assets go up as a byproduct. And essentially, I pick the pocket of other people who don't own assets. And if I own more assets, they go up more. And so it's pretty logical, if you, if you see that, why wealth inequality is exploding. But it has a negative externality because it is not a fair tax. It's a hidden tax on society. It's theft. And, and you could argue, is it okay to, to walk into somebody's house and steal 2% of their money? So that forces you to ask the question, why is inflation there in the first place? It's not a physics principle that we require inflation, but we believe it is. And so when you, and, and, and when you build an economy just based on debt and you allow deflation to happen, the debt gets more and more expensive and you can't pay it back. So that's where we are today in this, these two systems, whether we like that or not. Right. So people get emotional about this conversation and they, because they've always lived in a system and they're measuring the entire system by the system that they live in. But it doesn't change the facts. 
So we live in a system that requires more debt, more leverage and more printing of money. And because the debt can't be paid back, now we're destroying what money is. We're changing the unit of money to be able to pretend we live in this system. And when you do that, you, you, run, you have a whole bunch of negative externalities because, because that theft or, or corruption of money at the base layer informs every other decision in the market. And, and so if you have corruption in the base layer of money, then you have corruption everywhere as a result. So, um, and to your question, people that go through a path in their life and come into a whole bunch of wealth, they realize that the wealth isn't really the thing. That money is, it affords you an opportunity to spend the time where you want to. And we don't crave more and more money. We crave more and more time. Correct. And uh, time to enjoy that money. Money is just a construct to be able to trade time. And so, so if you're destroying the construct of money, you're destroying time. And so it's logical that people are racing more and more on a hamster wheel, trying to, to put their money into things that'll outrun that inflation because to hopefully enjoy the last 10 years of their life in a, in, in a different world where, and I know this is really hard for people to get. It's hard to get because we live in this system that looks like this. Well, it's everything in the now instantaneous, which the technology can give us. But in an inflationary system, it seems like the inflationary system is such that that FOMO creates more stressors on our life outside of work. So we don't have that quality. And as you mentioned, we're, we're kind of looked to work 50 years to live the last 10. Whereas if you look at deflation, even though it's bad in an inflationary system, the deflationary period would be like, say, 2020, where, you know, work kind of took a backseat and you got to enjoy your family more. You got to enjoy your house. You got to do the projects, you know, and the world's still spun. I mean, it wasn't awesome. So, but so and I'm going to push on that. The world's still spun because how much was uh, 30% of all dollars ever created were created in 2020? Mm -hmm. 2020, and, and so essentially you manipulated money and more. So what's happened, in, and, and even when people are talking about a 2% inflation or 3% inflation, what they're measuring inflation at is from zero. Yep. And they keep on changing the, okay, what is core inflation? The what inputs. Is the, the inputs to be able mm -hmm. to make sure that the output matches what they're looking at. But what's really happening, I believe, is 30 years ago, we probably would have had disinflation by about 1% a year. This technology moved faster and faster into our society. And what governments did at that time all over the world is instead of, um, instead of realizing that, they lowered interest rates, lowered interest rates, lowered interest rates, which caused debt binges. And then it went to 2% disinflation, 3% disinflation. And so you had this structural which makes sense. We use technology to save our time. Mm -hmm. We don't use it to make prices go up. So you had one kind of structure moving down and an opposing structure that had to first uh, drive interest rates down to try to grow out of that, that then caused debt bubbles, 
and, and the housing market in 2008 would have been a perfect example, that then you papered over that, you didn't change the problem. And so you know you have two, these two opposing systems and one system is driving prices down and one system has to keep on driving prices up. So now where you are, are 30 years ago, you might've been at this nexus point and you might've been able to do something about it in a soft landing as a change in systems. Now you're out here and one system requires more and more printing, which is actually just more government control, concentrating more and more power, keeping everybody on a mouse wheel. And one system is the exact opposite. If you actually saw what was true, the, the one system would, the, the inflationary system would completely collapse to the ground. If you let deflation happen today, so mm -hmm. this is where the trap that central bankers are in because essentially arrogance that they thought they could stop a free market. And, and so they put themselves in a trap that now you're stuck out, stuck out here. And if you allow deflation to happen, you have a deflationary collapse. And the entire system, governments, banks, everything keeps on unwinding to the ground because there's nothing backing it. Right. So in that system, what do you do? You keep on kicking the can down the road. And as you kick the can down the road, you're stealing from the free market and you're concentrating control into very few hands and in, in, in making government bigger and bigger and bigger all the time which by the way what would happen on the other system is the other system would try to remove labor faster so so you're getting you're getting these two opposing forces moving further and further away with nobody talking about what's driving it at the center of it there's no redefining or, or bringing back balance and an inflationary system, though it's perceived prolonged deflation is bad, but we've gone too long without any sort of deflation. And so the cycles, you know, you haven't had any washout periods for an inflationary system to work. You need that. But as we've seen, we'll just, you know, protect everybody and nobody fails. And as the markets have become less and less free, You've, you've avoided these deflationary periods. And that's one of the beauties, I think, in the book that you kind of lay out is, is that you flip the script on deflation being such a negative thing. I mean, for me, I, I sort of believe that everything past supply and demand that you learn in school is just incorrect because it's m massaging to a system, not... In, in, in go again, going back to first principles, and then you understand that what you have to do if there's fraud embedded in your, um, and these are harsh words, if there's theft embedded in the core layer mm -hmm. of money. And I realize they're harsh words. I actually use those words um, meaning to show what it really is. Because what you hear quantitative easing, what you hear all of these, th all of these things makes you more confused and because people don't want to show the truth of what's happening. Right. And so it sounds like we need to do this. So let's just do a thought experiment. When I wrote my book, um, there was in the last 20 years before COVID, there was $185 trillion of easing to produce $46 trillion of economic growth. So if you tax the 46 trillion at 100%, obviously you could never <laughs> come close to uh, so everybody that's ever borrowed money and kept borrowing, kept borrowing to spend beyond their means knows that that can't go on forever. But, but it makes actually, it makes total sense 
that why it's growing so fast if you're trying to stop deflation because technology saves our time it reduces mm-hmm. labor and saves our time as a byproduct now investigate that question what would housing prices look like without 185 trillion dollars of stimulus over 20 years and so people are caught in a system that the housing always goes up and housing always goes up because you're manipulating money supply and so every other every other economic calculation is exactly the same thing and people don't realize that they're stuck and so what would happen normally in that is you would leave her like crazy to buy more housing so that you can take advantage of housing going up and it's all based on essentially a fraud and, and that's a point there now that we're at the other end of the curve so if you go 1980s rates you know, treasury 16%, now you're at one, zero, somewhere very low. So it's like a batting average. Once you get so low, all you need is one or two hits for it to start to go up. And and I think for me on that housing example is, as you've said, that everybody for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, buy a house, sell it whenever you move, it generally speaking goes up unless you just end up in one of the lull periods. But really a house is just a bond because it's tied. So if you understand bonds, rates go down, prices go up, rates go up, prices go down. So you, you really, I mean, we have to have houses to live, to, to protection, shelter, all that kind of stuff. But when you get over levered into a house is, that's kind of a stretch now, and you're headed towards at some point a rate rising environment, your, your basis starts to erode. Here, here's the thing. I don't think there can be a rate rising environment. I think in this system. Yeah, I, I would system. agree. Yeah. So the minute that raised, so all the head fakes around rate rise and not that they won't try, but, uh, but because now that the government has taken on the debt mm-hmm. and, and essentially moved the risk from the free market to the government, yep. um, as soon as you raise rates, the entire thing collapses and the government fails. And, so, and that's, the conundrum right and the only other period i mean there's other historical periods but in the 30s and 40s and you saw yield yield curve control as a way to manage out but if you look at that system we were early in a base layer being gold and and fiat being a layer two and so it gave them a runway yeah that's exactly and people are really confused about Great Depression, what happened? It was a it was a massive debt buildup. Yeah, that had to be cleansed from uh, from that. And it's not deflation was the thing that was cleansing it. Right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't the other way around. It did, deflation didn't cause the big uh, Great Depression. It was a debt buildup that, that that caused it that couldn't be paid back. It, and that's the point from earlier is that the even though deflation is bad, it hurts. It's painful. You know, gravity takes hold of everything at some point. And or or let's just play out let's play out the scenarios. And this is uh, I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about Bitcoin, mm-hmm. um, but let's just play out the scenarios. Um, so how, um, if technology is uh, is is moving at a rate in faster and faster every day, exponentially faster all the time. So it's moving into all corners of society. And that technology could create abundance everywhere. How could an inflationary environment work against that force without concentrating all power into hands of very few? 
so the beauty of technology is it makes our lives better, more efficient, frees up our time. The problem in the inflationary system is that technology, what we're seeing with that inequality is if you're a business owner and your profits to you are getting bigger and better because of those costs of that, that margin, and you're saying, well, I want this all for myself. And instead of passing it down, right, you, you the business owner, you create the business because you want to make money, right? And so that's not a bad thing, but it, it seems like that technology has made that margin so wide and so few business owners are you know, passing enough of it down that the technology is actually creating that divide. So I would be curious to hear your view on how to, how to maintain the positive side of technology without centralizing all so the, the... Only, the only way. Um, and, and when we think business owners and remember a bunch of my business benefit benefit from this, so mm-hmm. taking the opposite of the, uh, uh, view. But you, so, and you're a good example because you have owned businesses. So you see that balance not, sheet. So, so in Canada, 26% of our economy is government spending. Mm-hmm. And I'm on a bunch of boards that show me, show me, um, what the government spending line is on their business without understanding and, and, and thinking, okay, it's always going to be there. Um, and without thinking, what about my customers' businesses that wouldn't be there without that government spending? Right. So if you actually understand what that means, what it means is yeah, on this system, it's not the business. The, the, what ends up happening is the government has to keep on going. They have yep. to increase more and more. So the government, when I say central powers, I mean you centralize everything under a centralized system of government control, right. not yep. business. The free mm-hmm. market is gone over time because the government has to take away that free market because because population the free market google facebook amazon which are created at this size because of this policy the government has to go and break in and say it's your fault it's hurting society even though it's uh, so, so it go go back to housing um Government, you, you could say in, in COVID, why would housing be more expensive for businesses or re, let's go use commercial real estate, which is also at all time highs. Mm-hmm. Why would that be when most people are people... free? So, so what's happened is government policy has driven those prices up. Rents have gone up in lockstep and a whole bunch of people that are missing out from that can't, can't pay the rent, residential, commercial, everything else. So as a byproduct, those people go to the same government that created the problem, both sides of the aisle, by the way, this is not a yeah. government. Thing. Right. Yep. Same government that created the problem and said, I need money to pay for the artificially high prices that you created. Right. And, and so the spiral continues and the spiral continues and that spiral moves all power to government. And so mm-hmm. if you want to live in a centralized system that looks like something like China or the U S or, or Russia, then, then that's where this path takes us. Unfortunately, I wish that wasn't true. And then, then I ask myself, um, why don't people in other countries, why don't enough people stand up to a system that has the, these terrible negative externalities? What, I, what happens is people kind of hide in safety in a system like this. And because the, because the short-term benefits of printing money 
they don't see the long-term costs of concentrating all wealth in the hands of few. They always, we have a human bias to do the short term. Yeah. And so, so that enables the state to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, and not enough people will stand up against that. So now, now add technology, a technology layer to the historical lens. Imagine that control to, of the state with artificial intelligence and robotics. It is, it is a very dystopian world for, for, uh, for what uh, humans would go through, what, what that would look like. Um, it would be good for a few, but very bad for, for, uh, uh, for most. And so for me on, on Bitcoin, if you went the opposite side, where technology is going, but remember, I don't make the rules. Correct. <laughs> I don't, I, just, because, just because technology is going there and it has a whole bunch of implications, it, it, it's true anyways. And a new system is required to, to be able to be congruent where humanity is going with that. And that new system has to, I believe, um, has to decentralize control. It has to move and, and, and it has to be, it has to have a currency that allows for the natural benefits of technology to be passed for the, to the most people, because otherwise it all consolidates into the hands of a few. To me, that's what Bitcoin actually does. It's a, it's a, it, um, so it's a digitally native currency that allows for deflation that cannot be uh, concentrated in the hands of a few. And, and a lot of that, um... I totally agree and see eye to eye with you on um, you have different layers of centralization. We've just slowly moved towards more and more at the government or central bank in, you know, level. And then you've got a handful of central banks that have gotten smaller and smaller around the world that actually kind of have say in how things work. Um, and that's the, you know, fear. Oh my goodness. The, the world's coming to an end kind of view. And I think, if, the, if this is, if you view this as a digital revolution, these last 10, 20 years, much like the industrial revolution that kind of, as Kathy Wood would put it, so many industries are changing so fast that the world has just completely changed. So you've got kids that have grown up with only the internet, and then you've got the other half of the population that didn't get the internet until they were 20 or 30. And so there's a different ability to compute a different ability to kind of the way you just view the world is so drastically different that that's driving this wedge is creating a lot of chaos plus these systems that just need to be updated so if you look at the bitcoin network over um you know was on vacation i was reading a payment system book that nick carter had put out a couple of months ago and there's nothing new in it um it's just how ach works how checks work how cash works all that kind of jazz but if you read in there, it talks about open loop systems and it essentially describes the Bitcoin network. The yeah. only difference is the Bitcoin network is a technology that cuts out all the middlemen so that efficiency and savings goes to, this is my opinion anyway, the individual rather than the entity. That's right. That's, it, right. That's right. And so you can actually understand why through that lens and understanding these systems, you can understand 
not bad people in the system, some bad people, just like right. there's some bad people in Bitcoin system. They, um, but you can understand that the incentives of the system align to protect the system, just like, uh, just like uh, Blockbuster added candy aisles to their store to try to stop Netflix, mm -hmm. which is, it seems insane today, or what Kodak did to try to stop a digital camera revolution and how many abundance and photos we have today. They're two totally different systems, but you understand what a system does with all the negative feedback to try to protect itself. And that's what we're seeing today. By stopping, by stopping creative destruction in the free market, creative destruction only moved up to the monetary level. That's mm -hmm. what's, the, uh, um, and, and, and so we're, this is a really exciting time and frightening in some ways too, but a really exciting time to be alive. Because if you understand where this ta uh, takes us, it's a huge positive for huma humanity. Now it'll be a rough road across the across this, but understanding Bitcoin and understanding some of the stuff we're talking about on this call gives you actually a cheat code for how to operate um, <laughs> for for for, um, for how to operate in the world and actually understand the human psychology and everything else or what people are likely going to do as as a result. And, and totally agree. So that's kind of a little bit of the point of narrowing the gap between traditional wealth management and inflationary system. Most people, that's the way their minds work. That's what they hear on the news. That's what they read in the newspaper. That's what Barron says. And this Bitcoin crypto system that is deflationary in nature, meaning that even though there's fear, greed, and scary, you know, dips and it's a true free market. I mean, what you see in crypto markets is what would happen in the S&P if governments and banks stepped out of the way. A hundred percent. Most people don't realize, I talked to somebody really deep in risk markets and everything else, yield curve control. What would the yield curve look like in a, in a free market? So the distortion of value of every single other asset. So uh, mis people are misinterpreting risk. Yes. All of the risk is there. Bitcoin is showing you the truth. It's an asymmetric mm -hmm. bet, not risk. Yes. Um, and and so so, but because most most people get trapped. Let's use real estate as an example. And this might be I've never said this on a podcast. Um, Good for well, the first time. Here we go. <laughs> so, um, but I think a lot about about it. If you had it, if if you had an inflationary system that required um, more and more debt and leverage. Wouldn't a really great way to convince uh, humans to be able to do that, uh, to run that system, is convince them that housing is a key key piece, and then give thirty year loans against that, because because that those property rights give you an ability to lock somebody into a system to print money forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and some people would benefit if you're early into there, or if you have more of the property, you'd benefit from that. But it, that's even on property rights. It's also why if you go back in time, why don't people leave Germany in, um, in the 30s and 40, uh, 30s when they see what's coming next? And they don't because all of their wealth is tied up into, into the existing currency and local. And, 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 and local market. Yep. And they can't see it and they can't zoom, zoom, zoom out. And so when you look at property rights and what a lot of people do or all their money in the stock market and everything else, knowing that this is where most of the risk is and knowing governments have to devalue currencies more to be able to or reset and fail, um, 
you, you, you start to see the real risk involved in that. And, and, and that's why when you think about essentially property rights of something that couldn't be taken from you in Bitcoin, unless somebody can take your memory, um, it's yours wherever you go in the world. Is you could you you could move you could move in an instant and not be trapped into a system that has to keep making it uh, making it worse. And in that Bitcoin network, you know, where I talked about the business owner getting the profit margin. In this case, if you're a participant in the Bitcoin network, or let's just say you're in some other crypto, whatever, you know, there's to each his own. But that profit margin now comes to you, the individual, because they're fees and middlemen taken out and it allows you to pay for things, move money around or protect data or whatever may come on third layers where when we start actually getting applications that are usable at the individual. I mean, we're seeing some this year, but it's just like when Netflix and Amazon and Google and all those, those were just on the TCP IP stack. And, and so now we've got this new stack that instead of giving the margin to the entity, it gives it to the individual. And we're just so early that we're seeing more chaos around. Bitcoin's a protocol layer in money. And remember back when, when the internet came out or public internet came out in 1989, most people completely missed what would happen on top of it afterward. Yep. All the UX, all the things that made it easier, all of the innovation that layered onto that level. They never saw that because they couldn't understand the difference in communication and the difference, what that would enable as more and more people joined on a network effect. Mm -hmm. And so, so, so today, most of the value accrued into all the technology companies is designed on a network effect. And a network effect is really the value of the network gets stronger with each additional user on a network. Um, so, but most of the value is taken on top of that protocol. Bitcoin itself is like investing in the protocol itself. But we're so early in the stage, but the, and, and you know this, Kane, but the, uh, if you looked at where we are in Bitcoin adoption and the internet adoption, um, it's, it matches exactly. Um, and and, and it's, it's running at about the same pace, but we're in 1996 in the internet. Mm-hmm. So think about all of the companies that weren't even around. Google wasn't around in 1996. Um, uh, Facebook wasn't around. All of the Instagram shops weren't even out, thought of. Or even thought thought of. They came on top of a, a, a of a design uh, of a design that was a protocol layer. That's where we are in this in this, and it's also why people are confused because. If you go back two, three years of Bitcoin, somebody loses their wallet or loses their key for it and everything else. It's confusing. It's hard to, it was hard to understand, but they're still using, they're looking at media from back then and making decisions today. And it looks very different today. And it's exploding in, in, the, in the amount of innovation that's happening in this space. That's moving from the, uh, the protocol level to layer two and the payment level and everything else is staggering. And so it changes the world. It literally changes the entire monetary system. And there's two points there. I mean, one, that's the way I've started to try to explain it to clients, prospects, people in traditional wealth management space that they sit on the news and they're like, what is this, you know, internet currency? Do I need it? Is the dollar going to go to zero? Is it worth, you know, and I'm like, let's just set all that aside. 
and just look at it strictly as a technology. And unfortunately, the technology hits everybody's pocketbook. And when you start messing with, well, where it is right now as a currency and tradable and all that kind of stuff hits pocketbook. So people view it as money and instantly fears and guards go up and, and all of this stuff. But if to the point you made, if we're in 1996 or we're in 1993 when email was released in the eighties, when the internet was just kind of getting going, it all they're like, Hey, we need to move text from one place to the other, just static, boring text. And they didn't think about, well, we need email that doesn't take 48 hours. They didn't think about, um, you know, we need Yahoo and all those portals and ask Jeeves. And then they didn't think about, oh, well, we need Google, which is a better search, or we need Amazon, which is an online place that we can shop. They didn't think we'd pay. They didn't think, oh, people are going to want to transfer music and video. And so we've gone through all the other aspects of our life, and now we're all digital. And the technology is saying, hey, the best way to pay somebody is not with paper or with gold bricks or with, you know, credit card or with things that have four or five, six day settlement and failure. It's, I need to click a button, pay, or, you know, as you might see with Sphinx chat or something like that, I'll set a rate with which I will pay. As I'm using, I used to spend 19.99 on every CD I bought, um, and there was entire uh, industry that essentially chose the music that I could listen to because because it costs a lot for distribution, and so you had producers, everything else that have, millions of people wanted to be stars that had to get seen through people choosing who could be served. So we, our music was pretty limited as a result too. We loved it. We didn't know better. Your taste was a derivative of somebody else's taste. Exactly. Enter communication channel that essentially makes music free. Mm -hmm. Taste explodes. We get to choose individually what we want. The billions of new science stars today that would have never been found in the existing system. And instead of buying a 1995 CD, the thing, the, the thing that I used to buy, buy turned into information. Mm -hmm. And the information, I can get unlimited music for 995 a month right now, unlimited. And that created a new type of business model that was entirely deflationary. That, that, thing, that thing, that information, turn, or things turning into information is just starting. Most of it's in front of us. Uh, us. So it's Good. the same thing happened in photos. Think about what it used to cost you to, to take a pic, to buy a camera, buy a film, have that developed, have it edited, have everything else, and the entire industry that was on top of that. And, and so as a result, we used, we did took very few photos. Today, it's unlimited for free. Um, and, and so you get abundance and the cost completely changes the industry. So those, those examples are what, what's happening. And, and one, one other thing I think that is, needs to be said here is Bitcoin is a protocol level. Um, and a lot of people say, okay, I can make a whole bunch of money on Bitcoin and Ethereum and all of these other things. I do not believe anything else in, in there is a protocol level. And I think Bitcoin will take it all over time. Not that there won't be competition, not that you couldn't make money if you're trading some of these other altcoins, 
but I think, but it doesn't look like people are confusing um, Google and Ask Jeeves that were on top of a protocol level with Bitcoin itself, which is a protocol level. And so, and, and so that's what I think it does for money and all, all the innovation on lightning and everything else comes off of the protocol level. It creates a totally different world for us. You know, if you look at it really much like in the thirties, the last real deflationary period, you know, prolonged, you saw a financial system being rewritten, going from physical gold bars, ships, and however they mailed it around the countries to paper dollars that could more easily be shipped and more easily be used as the citizen of that time needed to transact. And so I think we're seeing that same thing today. So that protocol base layer Bitcoin is just a better use of the way the modern citizen needs to transact because much of our lives exist around data and data and information is the value in society. So if you have less jobs because of this period of prolonged deflation, then you've got to have some form of income just because that's the way our brains work. So why does, why can't that income come off the information yeah. that, that you where, put out versus the entity getting it? And, and, and this is where people get really scared and they, they're almost stuck because of fear. Mm-hmm. They can see that artificial intelligence and robotics will, will completely change jobs and they get stuck in a system that requires more jobs and essentially more distorting money, which is more control mm-hmm. to try to live in that system because of, uh, because of fear. And what very few people really have taken the time to explore on economics is economics is not about value. Economics is about scarcity and the most valuable things in your life. Like you could use the oxygen we're breathing right now. Why don't we pay for it? Why do we only pay for it when we're underwater where oxygen is scarce? Because, because you can't create a business model out of abundance because what's happening is information is free and, and more and more things are becoming information. And, and so if you're trying to stop that, you're only stopping it from society by, by aggregating power. And, and it, again, it's just starting. Most of the deflation is in front of us. And so you, you see examples everywhere, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, 10 years ago, came, we couldn't have done this. Um, if you knew the technology that was about to change this experience to a t- entire, that felt like we were in the same room that is coming within five years, um, it, it would blow your mind. And I'm at the front edge of some of this. And so, so we, we don't see how fast it's coming in our, in our society. We, we look at education. So there's a whole bunch of people that are caught in a believable lie that education costs a whole bunch of money. And why are they caught in that believable lie? Because it used to be when I grew up, getting the best education at that school created an advantage to get a job mm-hmm. and the highest paying job. It was all about economics. And that system is just carries on forward. When right now, education is free. It's free right now. I could get any researcher in the world through an internet connection. And if I had the curiosity on any path I want, education's free. It's not saying I'll take advantage of free education, but all that's not free is the accreditation certificate. Or, or yeah. Certificate. It's not. It's not free. And and so when you see that, and business owners are starting to realize, and I've and I, 
in a whole bunch of my companies, I don't care about the edu- I care about how driven, smart, curious somebody is. And those people are more successful in the businesses because they're always curious. So it's not, it takes that power of that education that we've lived in all our time away. And we have come to a realization it's already free. That is the beauty of the internet as well. Uh, Because in my mind, the biggest thing that happened with the internet is it broke the barrier to information back in the 80s and 90s. And now what you're seeing is another iteration of the internet, internet, fourth or fifth. And this time it's focused on financial networks and breaking that barrier to financial networks. When that barrier is broken and the red tape's taken down and, you know, the developers and, and the people that understand the internet, when you give them the creativity and the leeway to create on these new layers, I think you'll get a lot better lifestyle, hopefully. And, yeah, and not a, more centralization of, you know, control, power, ego, all that. One way or another, and I wish this wasn't true, winter is coming from the, for the existing financial markets and it's going to, it's, it's going to cause, a, and, and that could come through revolution war. It could come through centralization. It could come through a whole bunch of different things, but it will not look the same way it looks to, today. That is 100% guaranteed. It cannot. So that is, that's frightening for what we're going through. Do, do you think other. that fear is, is what holds people back from joining kind of the Bitcoin bandwagon or, or crypto craze? I, or? I, I think that the, because you're living in a system that you don't question this at a root, what's ha- happening, Bitcoin seems it's too hard to believe it's too hard to understand that's that'll change just like the internet was too hard to understand for people when it would take a week to download a cat video in mm-hmm. 1998 96 right so so people wouldn't understand what was coming next out of it and i think that's where bitcoin is uh, is today a lot of people that understand it and understand what we're talking about they, they almost come across they they have a tinfoil hat on yeah right because because they, they can see something that no one else can see and what's and they want to bring more people on. Now that can come across as, as, as arrogant or anything else, but people are stuck in a system and they haven't run the consequences of what that system looks like over time. And a new system is changing. What I would say is, is this, it is very difficult. Yeah, like try to stop the internet. It is very difficult to stop a technology and I don't know why you'd want to anyways, technology that, uh, that empowers human beings and individual rights and freedoms. And that's what technology, that's what Bitcoin does. It's an empowerment, it's a technology of empowerment. And so the more a system tries to stop that through a whole bunch of fear that's in the market today or in everything else to try to retain gain power, the more people will find it. And, and so, so you're seeing this transition happen in real time. It's, it's, it's really interesting to, to watch how fast this is, this is happening in society. But more and more people, they, they start to go down the rabbit hole on Bitcoin. And it changes them too, because they realize a whole bunch of things that they, for, they believed aren't true. Yeah. And that's, as you go along, that's awesome because... 
you go in with preconceived notions, you come out with some of those being, you know, Hey, that was false. Now I've got this changed view. And then you kind of wash, rinse, repeat. And it's something that changes people's minds because it really gets them off. Wait, I need to work more to make more, to live better when it actually can be the opposite. And, yeah. and I'm not an advocate of, Hey, let's don't work. I mean, if you look biblically, man's, you know, part of his role is to work and, and to do things and to be active and to create. It's, it, it, it's hope for a better world. Yeah. Like you put work, you, you put work, every one of the companies that, that is successful or not successful only is successful if I create value for somebody Productive. else. Right. So, so it sounds stand to reason that in a free market, those productivity gains that are being used by other people must be deflationary. And, and then if you look in nature and, and the way the world operates without us interfering, what is it? It's one giant network. Totally. So the power of an open and available giant network that kind of encompasses information and data, what's wrong with that? Because it's functioning just like the bees, you know, take pollen from one area to another and help flowers bloom and help, you know, fruits grow and all that kind of jazz. So it's almost as if it's just, we went through this period where we sort of weren't functioning like a network in the last 20 years, man has started to function more like a network. Yeah. And what's happening is things are becoming information and everything is information. Mm-hmm everything. And so, so if you think about uh, 3d printing, which is evolving really fast, our entire supply chains around things in your office right now, your desk or your chair, let's use chairs as it could be because the IMS thing, IMF thinks we need more chairs for inflation. <laughs> so <laughs> let's use that as an example. So how do you make a chair? All it is, is somebody's information in their head of a design that they put onto paper or they put into a computer network, and then they, uh, then they have something fabricated to test market to then decide, okay, now I'm gonna produce these at scale and I need, where can I produce them at scale? I'm gonna go take that to the cheapest labor in the world to, to produce them at scale. Well, that labor is, is being automated by machines, right? So it gets <laughs> cheaper and uh, cheaper and cheaper. And then I'm going to put in them in a retail or distribution in the retail store so people can drive to the store to be able to choose my chair over other chairs and say, and I create a business. Entire supply chain, every single part of it is going to be gone within the next, it's going to be starting right now, but it's, it's maybe 10 years. As information, that idea moves into 3D printing and can be printed in your backyard. Um, and, and, and the entire job families and everything else of distribution goes away as a result of that as, as things move to information and things are di digitized. Now, after that, or in parallel with that, AI will do a better job of choosing. It'll, it'll, be, it'll create more designs, just like we see in music today, and see, see that a whole bunch of artists come in that we would have never seen before. And now artificial intelligence is starting to create some of that. The same thing will happen in, in physical objects that we're uh, using today as things become information. And that's the better lifestyle and the more efficiency. 
it's more efficiency and we use technology to save our time we mm -hmm. use it so so we've always tried to master our world and we're mastering our world as things as physical objects become information and information becomes free and so we think about that system and, and you think about every city is a result of that system as as the cities have been designed on trade routes or financial hubs right For, throughout time this uh, you go back to egypt go back to so cities are designed on on trade routes and financial hubs as a result of controlling that system and everything else now you add energy which is actually getting cheaper cheap enough to localize with things like solar you had satellite uh, uh, satellite um, internet, which is anywhere. You can work from anywhere, and it changes it changes distribution completely of cities, and you can produce anywhere. Subsequent changes to society are staggering. Um, Bitcoin is is one of those things, and I don't want to get tinfoil hat here, but it's actually one of those things that actually advances all of that. It's congruent with nature, but congruent with us rather than fighting it and trying to con uh, concentrate uh, power. And that's sort of where I was going there with the technology that's behind Bitcoin network and other uh, crypto networks. It brings that true on-demand capability where, you know, web 2.0 was just kind of data being real time. So when you go to a site, stock tickers are refreshed, other inventory systems. But now we're putting that into a much broader set of data. Mm -hmm. And in, in it's now blending into our money. And if you think about the internet as a whole has really at every stage has really just enhanced our communication. Think about, uh, think about money as information. So, so if you take money as information, is it not just another way to communicate? It's communication of value. So now we've just moved from text to video, to music, to e-commerce. And now we're like, hey, what is value? We can communicate that through these in, re in real time, digitally, anywhere. And, yeah. and, and, and money and money is information. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so um, so if you corrupt money, which is information, so if you, uh, uh, then you corrupt every other signal in the market mm -hmm. as a result. Yep. So, so everything on top of that communication is corrupted as a result. And it's, it's, it's actually a pretty simple way of looking at it. And that's what, that's one of the things Bitcoin fixes. It's on, it, you cannot corrupt it. Mm -hmm. And that's from a business perspective, you know, you're a business owner, you're involved in many businesses. If you could wipe out a lot of your inventory and a lot of the potential waste that goes into that, and use information to replace that and be more on demand. That just seems like there's a much broader set of efficiencies and a much better way to scale than to spend all these years building things, sit it in a warehouse and hope that, that people. Well, I think that's a, that's the thing that's not caught into this. Everybody's making rational decisions in a, in a world that they live in. So as a business owner, as, as price moves up more and more and is artificially mandated to move up more and more, what will I do as a business owner? I'm going to use technology to reduce labor faster mm -hmm. because if I don't, my competitor will and, and I'll, I'll lose my business. 
So, so you're doing it in service of making your business more efficient, which is driving prices down. So the faster you're trying to manipulate money on one side, the faster it has to go the other, the other way, which causes a feedback loop, the more you have to manipulate money. And so that's just where we are in society today. And that feedback loop is spinning faster and faster on both ends of that spectrum. And there's nothing that central banks can do about it. Yeah. Um, it's short of convincing you that the, a few few people at the top should be in control of every decision, which kind of goes against laws of nature, us, everything else. Um, but I understand why, when you're trapped in a system like that, you're trying to do, you're trying to find your way out, and you're going and you're making it worse all the time. And George Soros has some great uh, thoughts or points or even book on that, you know, reflexive reflexivity or that feedback loop. And, you know, when you do it for the good, it's good. When you do it for the bad, it's bad. But they're, if you don't look at all the unintended consequences, they usually at some point come back and bite you once it starts to come unwound. Oh, um, so, so it's tied into why governments actually have the control as well. So, so ask yourself, if you just, let's use, forget the deflationary argument, everything else that I, that I said. Why do governments hide and hide taxes and inflation? And it's pretty simple because they can spend, they can give you more without you knowing that they're expanding powers as a byproduct. And you'll vote for them every time. They'll give society, oh, oh, we'll do this program, this program, this program, and we can hide it instead of telling you the truth that taxes would have to go up to expand government. That's why that, that's why that's why it's hidden uh, there. And it's a so it's fork more control. The only change that the Bitcoin type of system would cha change is, is governments would get smaller as a byproduct, but they would have to tell you the truth as they competed for you um, in the type of society you wanted. So it would turn into actually a true de democracy with, it, instead of fraud at the base layer, truth at the base layer. That's all that would happen. And I'll tell you this for Bitcoin, even on, on the other side, I'm not doing, I could care less about Bitcoin for my own personal wealth. I could care less. Um, what I care about it for is to remove the hypocrisy and to allow the world to transition to what we're, uh, we're talking about. Because I would personally, and I'm not choosing anybody else what they should do, but I would personally vote for a government that told me the truth and said, we don't want to live in a society. We don't want this society have 95% people homeless and everything else. And here's the, what the transition is going to look like. And you're going to have to pay some taxes to be able to provide this, this tra transition for, for a way of life for, uh, so that you, you're not having to live in a citadel and, and at the gates, everybody's <laughs> it looks pretty dystopian. I would likely vote for that uh, for the uh, government that was was telling me the, the truth and i'm uh, certain a whole bunch of others will so in other words it puts the free market in control of government i think we've moved so far along the the existing economic system that i'm not sure if everyone out there really understands what a free market is and no, you're right and right. and maybe what we've seen in the craziness of the financial markets the last couple of years and in, in this battle is just for the masses and the average person to start to understand what a free market that you don't just put money in real estate or put money in stocks and automatically take some multiple on top of that back out that 
sometimes when you make a choice, sometimes you lose. And that is a true free market. When we get up in the morning and we make a choice to get in a car, we're taking on risk just like we would making an investment, just like we would, uh, you know, everything is the decision and it has an outcome, but in the markets, that's kind of been taken away. And, And Ray Dalio points to some of that lightly in some places and heavier in others, but that the economic system that we see in place, the inflationary one, the Keynesian one, most of that is just to make sure economists and bankers have jobs yeah. because it's, it's massaged. It's, it's crony capitalism. Yeah. And, and, and so if you're at the top of the stack and you have uh, way more assets than everybody else, and, and uh, then, and then you say, well, all of these jobs are going to go away if, if you don't bail me out. Mm-hmm. I understand how governments will continue to make that short-term uh, choice. You just, but it turns into complete crony capitalism. It's not a free. It's not a free market at all. How could you actually say that twenty six percent of an economy is government spending is a free market? Right. What's free about, or or what's great about Tesla if it can't survive without subsidies? Right. I mean, I get every good business has to get a start from somewhere with loans. They just very few businesses. Somebody pulled out a dollar and multiplied it without taking money from somewhere. But at some point you have to say, okay, enough's enough. You either survive or you don't. Um, right. so, so, so just think about some of these in real world uh, uh, environments today. So, so the airline industry, do the planes go away if the, if shareholders lose their money because invest, uh, the, the, the CEO made bad bets? No, the entire industry is still there. Is just somebody else comes in and creates new wealth on top of it without papering over papering mm-hmm. over the, the, the debt, and um, instead of transferring that to society, and um, and and saving this, but worse than that, if you if you go back into the first into kind of a first principle and you say, well, how did it get there in the first place? And so when governments tell tell rational actors. CEOs, everyone else who are, who are trying to take care of their capital, that I'm going to devalue your money. And if you keep cash for a rainy day, you're going to get crushed in the free market. What would you do? You just take a risk. You would take risk. You would leave her, you would leave her up knowing that the government, once you've levered up, has to come in and save you. So you distort free market, complete free market fundamentals because the Fed right now is sending a message to everybody, leave her up. And that's a good point, because I think that's probably the biggest pushback that I get um, if I talk about Bitcoin to, to people that just don't follow it as much, but they're like, hey, the number one thing they say is, well, if the government's not putting out more money and I can't spend more, then I can't have more things. Isn't that a bad thing? <laughs> and so... It always baffles me, and I don't really have a good response, but it's ingrained at this point in human nature that I need to spend to be happy. Totally. And a, that defla- that's the greatest thing about your book, that deflationary view of is, no, I just need to make good choices and the you know Bitcoin standard view, look at your time preference. That's what makes you happy. 
Yeah, I'm in uh, YPO, and uh, and I think it was uh, the 13,000 members of YPO or the greater members of YPO are kind of a third of the world's wealth. So it's a pretty staggering number, and you can get to it's young. It's called the Young Presidents Organization, um, and and so been been around a lot of very very wealthy people that actually don't know this until the end of their life and and yep. and and wish they could have had a do-over because everything was about more money to be able to have more things and it was really it got a feedback loop of their own thinking to um to to realize what was it all about in the hallway there anyways not everybody there's some incredible people but some people get caught in that feedback loop on more and more and more and more and not realizing that they're actually taking away of other parts of their lives, their family or friends or something else in the search for more and more because of the system design that we have. We deal with that on the wealth management side and, and, you know, you have those conversations and they can be tough and you have to frame it correctly, but okay. So if you're sitting on your deathbed with $12 million or $25 million or $8 million, don't you think, you, your kids, your wife, your family, whomever in your inner circle might have had a better life 30 years before if yeah. you would have spent 500,000 more or a million more or 3 million. Like if you died with 6 million instead of 10. Or forget the money altogether. It, it, it's, your, it's your time. Yeah. Or you spent more time. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that, that's, that's kind of because every, every moment we spend our time, we're, cho we're choosing one thing and we're, we're, we're not choosing a different thing. So if you spend all your time in your business to choose that, choose that over and over and over again, it has to have a cost somewhere else. I mean, I bet there's very, very few, um, nobody really knows the answer or could know the answer, but very few that at the end, they look up to somebody and say, you know, I'm really disappointed that I didn't beat the S&P by two percentage points. Every year. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> right? that's Nobody just, thinks that way. That's <laughs> just not what happens. Um, so but, but again, on a daily basis, they are thinking that way. Yeah. Right? And, and they get trapped into something that every, it, defi it defines them. And that's why I love the book. Um, I wanted to have you on is because it just kind of helps you kind of think of I sort of had thought about that as well as just saying, okay, well, the system's broken because today I can get a credit card, rent a cheap apartment, have no inventory and create this online business for just a couple hundred bucks a month. And I don't need the system. Yeah. I don't need inflation. And that's sort of where the Fed and central banks are stuck because there's more and more of that. And there's less and less W2, which means taxes are down and all that kind of jazz. And so then when I read your book, I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of the answer to that thought. And so I guess we can kind of wrap it up a little bit. One so somebody said, so just to finish off what you just said, and I can't, uh, hopefully somebody will correct me on this. I can't remember who, who actually said it, but it just articulated my book. Next. We become time billionaires. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's what, that, that's what ends up having. You realize that your time's worth way more. And you become a time billionaire. That's uh, that, that's what happens. Exactly. Is it's those people that um, they're they're viewed as crazy, but they just kind of piece it and go off to Alaska or somewhere <laughs> and just do whatever it is they want to do. But they're they're time billionaires. Yeah. You know. Um, 
and so to kind of wrap it up, um, I think you mentioned, I think I'd read it, but I forgot about it. But John Maynard Keynes said that it was in the 30s paper that off into the future, somewhere around now, people should have better lifestyles and work less. And instead, yeah, economic, economic possibilities of our grandchildren. Keynes, who we actually think about as the architect of evil and Keynes yep. system, actually believed that we would be working 15 hour work weeks and we would have way more for less. And that's how the system would work. And so I actually think uh, now, I think Keynes would roll over in his grave if he saw the manipulation under his name that this, uh, the, 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 this took. Well, he was a sound money gold bug prior to what got him popular You're right. and and so it's i i would agree that there's probably and i never realized that until um reading lords of finance and when money dies that what he's known for today was not how he kind of came into the system yeah and, and it, his papers led to what we see today but i i think what he missed uh, is is this uh i think the one thing he missed is he thought okay in a deflationary environment government could could lean in and try to soften the blow and then pay it back later right but we miss it misjudging human greed. Uh, human greed and bias and everything else and that there was no system to be able to do that to right. be able to bring it back into control um and and so the system just keeps on getting away from itself i i believe it's impossible to know for, for sure but i think that was the, the, the cornerstone and now what we see think about it keynesian is just completely uh, it just missed human psychology which is yeah. what shows up in free markets whether it's exorbitantly to the upside or just mashed down through the floor like what we've seen recently in every other sell-off in, in bitcoin but um yeah i would i would agree he probably missed the human ego yeah. how much greed a single person could have and collectively what percentage of the population would become greedy because everybody has a number that's and it, some, it, some that's, people don't and they just keep going that's why taking that that's why taking that out of human hands that's why Bitcoin kind of, there are Lovely no heroes so. in Bitcoin. There, there are no, uh, it's, it's truly decentralized. Nobody has a control of the network. And that's why it's so important because you have to remove that forever from money to be yeah. able to have, be able, uh, have abundance. It's either, uh, it's either um, hard, hard money, abundance everywhere else, or abundance and money, scarcity everywhere else. I think yeah. it's really that simple. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good way to look at it. Um, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Um, so, well, uh, Jeff, I definitely appreciate it today. Um, we can you tell everybody that's listening where's uh, you know a better place to find you? I know Amazon's the easy way to get the book, but that's probably the best else... way to get the book. The price of tomorrow on uh, uh, why technology is key to an abundant future on Amazon. Um, it, my personal. Uh, uh, the best is Twitter at Jeff Booth on Twitter. And is there any other, you know, resources or books or things that, that you feel like um, are good to, for people to um, kind of take a look at? Lots. Safe's book, uh, The Bitcoin Standard is a great book, but there, um, there's, I read about 50 books a year. So there's lots of other books. I'm actually going to put them up on my website or put the best of the best eventually up on my website. But 
but what I would say is on, on Twitter specifically, on, on there's su such a crazy, incredible, intelligent group of people advancing advancing this. Mm -hmm. So if you followed, if people followed me, and then kind of some of just the through that rabbit hole and everything else, it's uh, you'll you'll find everything. All right, perfect. Well, thank you, and um, you know, great to chat today. Great, thanks, thanks, Ken.